On this edition of the Iowa Business Report. Iowa, especially Iowa's rural counties, really need to build that economic development to invest in ourselves. It's been around for a decade and now serves as a model of how to transition to new forms of energy, while at the same time creating jobs and saving money. Rural development includes building strong communities to support Iowa's ag producers. And you'll hear about a business that works to keep other businesses growing. This is the Iowa Business Report for Halloween Weekend 2020. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. The Iowa Association of Business and Industry has been the voice of Iowa business since 1903. Learn more online at iowaabi.org. Here is Jeff Stein. Earlier this month, a unique Northeast Iowa entity marked its first decade of work, and in that time, the Winnesheek Energy District has compiled an impressive record of development focused on energy transition. Andy Johnson founded the Winnesheek Energy District, and he explained how this first-of-its-kind entity came to be. Winnesheek Energy District is a, a nonprofit organization right now, covering essentially Winnesheek County, though we actually work well beyond our county borders. The idea came about a, a decade or so ago when, when a bunch of local folks, farmer, banker, college folks, we were all essentially having conversations here around the coffee shop about how we could invest in local, locally owned clean energy. A lot of businesses, the city of Decorah, others, Luther College, had been doing important and good things, but this question was how can we sort of move the whole community forward as we were seeing the opportunities for locally owned, both efficiency and, and solar was just starting to come on the horizon. We settled on an organization. Some folks had said, hey, let's start a Decorah sustainability-type organization, and myself and some others said, you know, well, wait a minute, we don't even live in town. This isn't just about town. Can we do something that has broader coverage? And we settled on a, a countywide model, and we called it the Energy District, loosely based off of the Soil and Water Conservation District model. So I had worked with USDA for a while prior to moving back here to the home farm where I grew up, and I had worked in conservation. And soil and water districts are a really innovative way to provide local leadership in partnership with state and federal agencies and to bring resources down to bear on those local challenges of conservation, challenges and opportunities. So we said, hey, that's a model that we could use. There really isn't a model that shows how we can do locally owned clean energy with local leadership local technical assistance, and so let's, let's try that. Let's try that here. And so we formed. Now we formed as a nonprofit because soil and water districts are quasi-governmental. They're sort of authorized by state governments. They're really low bureaucracy and relatively low cost, but they're quasi-governmental. We don't have that authorization for energy districts. It's one of the things we're thinking about and talking to some policymakers about. But at this point, we're a nonprofit, and there are another eight nonprofit incorporated energy districts around eastern Iowa now, and that network is growing. So that's how we got going. So it sounds not only like this is still a fairly unique undertaking, but you were the first, if not one of the very first, to have this idea that has been replicated successfully elsewhere. We were the very first to start this idea of an energy district, again, along those lines of stone water conservation districts. There are, of course, other sustainability organizations around the country, mostly in communities, 
most of them do education and, and other related projects and do some good work. But yeah, on the model that we're looking at, we were certainly the first. And our focus, too, we certainly do a lot of education, but we really have focused, like soil and water districts, on the technical assistance side. So we really try and do the technical analysis. We call it energy planning, energy auditing that works, actually gets the job done. We do a lot of that with homes and farms and businesses, both looking at energy efficiency as well as the opportunities for investing in renewables like solar, which has really been on a tear up here. Obviously, a lot of people have been talking about sustainability, have been talking about an energy plan, whether it is to incorporate so-called new forms, whether it is phasing out older forms. Show us results. Within that first 10 years of the Winnesheek Energy District, what are some numbers that are going to get some people's attention, particularly with regard to business and industry? Sure. Yeah, we have, like I say, we do a lot of work one-on-one technical assistance with businesses, farms, and households. And so because we're at our 10-year anniversary, we've been running numbers, and I have some. And we've served directly with technical assistance probably 1,300, 1, customers just in Winnesheek County. Now, this is in a rural Iowa county of, of just 20,000 or so people, small town. Um, the number, the investment numbers we've seen documented now, about 18 now, probably make it $20 million invested in locally owned clean energy. So that's energy efficiency and locally owned renewables, mainly solar. This is locally owned, not utility owned. Of that $20 million of investment, we're calculating over $35 million of local energy savings, wealth creation and retention, and using some pretty conservative methods. I'm not big on touting job creation numbers by the thousands, but using some pretty conservative economist methodologies, we calculate about 250 jobs created, either up front or over the time of this sort of this, these energy savings. So those are some pretty big numbers, and just more specifically on solar, for example, we now have over 350 locally owned solar systems in Winnesheet County, just a, a small town, rural Iowa County. That's a lot of solar. It took a lot of money, a lot of investment, a lot of jobs to put it in. It's taking a lot of contractors at will to maintain and upkeep it, and that's just the tip of the iceberg. That that process is accelerating, and we're we're rolling with more solar plus efficiency projects every year. Not to put too fine a point on it, but you're citing these numbers, and we're not talking about Lynn or Johnson or Polk counties. We're talking about Winnesheet County. There's no reason to think that, again, those same results, if you had the same spirit behind it in other places, couldn't be replicated in many of these other places. Absolutely. And it is starting to be replicated. Like I say, there are eight more energy districts. Many of them have been working hard on these issues. We actually have had more solar, not just per capita, but outright than those other counties you mentioned. Though they're catching up, and urban areas now with large populations are really starting to see growing investment. But even our neighboring counties here uh, in northeastern Iowa, Howard, Alamakee, Clayton, even more rural and lower population than Winnesheek have really significant growing solar markets right now and energy efficiency markets. Solar is sexier than energy efficiency, I guess you could say. Um, but all of this work really builds on itself. It's, it's, it's a contagion, which is in a good way. What are some of the challenges that you still face when you talk to people about this topic up in your neck of the woods? Any 
potential skepticism of renewable energy or energy efficiency, whether they're good investments, um, those, that skepticism is dying down pretty fast. There are certainly folks that question and should, you know, what's a good investment and what's not. But the idea that renewable energy, you know, is somehow um, left-wing or, or otherwise too green or not Iowan is, is, you know, ridiculous and thankfully disappearing, at least in our counties, as the consensus grows on, look, here's the economic impact, and it's big, and it's going to last for generations of investing in locally owned renewables. One of the challenges continues to be the fact that, interestingly, we've seen a lot more investment in dollar-wise in solar than in energy efficiency. We have worked on energy efficiency from day one, and we work on it every day that we're here. Um, And the opportunities are always there, whether it's for the low-hanging fruit, the really really highly cost-effective stuff, or the things that take more investment on buildings, you know, whole, whole envelope and big mechanical systems, and those take a lot of investment. One of the challenges is financial. It takes quality technical professionals to do the energy planning, the energy auditing with homes, farms, and businesses. Those funds don't come easily. They're available at the state level through our state energy efficiency programs, which are ratepayer-funded. And one of the real opportunities that we see is to sort of link those programs with local professionals through energy districts and otherwise. And then we could provide even more and better technical assistance to more of our farms and homes and businesses. Um, So we're working on that. Andy Johnson of the Winnesheek Energy District. We spoke by phone on Monday, October 26th. Still to come, responding to rural development needs despite a pandemic and a unique investment fund designed to help grow Midwest businesses. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is a copyrighted production of Totally Iowa Media, which is solely responsible for its content. For more, click on the radio programs button at totallyiowa.com. The USDA announced this week an investment of $1.8 million for three separate rural broadband projects in Iowa, in Mitchell, Cherokee, and Wapalo counties. It's just one of the many ways the USDA's Rural Development Office helps create the infrastructure needed so ag producers and communities can thrive. Grant Menke is Iowa State Director for USDA Rural Development. We just completed a fiscal year at the end of September, and I just have been blown away, even though we spent half of the fiscal year in the COVID-19 crisis, working in a completely new manner through our enterprise-wide remote operational status, as we call it. And yet this year was an all-time record amount of project investments for Iowa rural development, $696 million dollars of investments through our housing programs, our community programs, our business programs, and our utility programs collectively. And and just a couple of highlights of that, through our single family housing programs, $286 million of investments to help rural islands achieve the dream of home ownership. Through our water and wastewater programs, $125 million to upgrade, modernize, and improve water and wastewater systems throughout the state. $93 million of investments in essential community facilities such as healthcare, 
education, community facilities, public safety, those type of projects. Um, our business programs, which include, you know, investments in small business and job creation. Um, we even had a new program, the Higher Blends Infrastructure Incentive Program, to help make higher blends of biofuels available throughout the state. $85 million of business program investments. And I'm just scratching the surface here. It really was a remarkable year of project investments. There's a program called the Rural Economic Development Loan and Grant Program where we partner with um, those uh, cooperative organizations to uh, provide loans for job creation. We had an all-time record of $16.8 million through those type of programs for, again, transformative small business opportunities throughout the state. So it's been a remarkable year, and we have a tremendous team here at USDA Rural Development at Iowa in our 11 offices around the state. We look forward to continuing to help fortify the future of our rural communities. Grant Menke, Iowa State Director for USDA Rural Development. We spoke by phone this past Thursday. Coming up, a unique answer to financing challenges facing Iowa business. You're listening to the Iowa Business Report. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry, helping develop the next generation of business leaders through Leadership Iowa, Business Horizons, and Leadership Iowa University. To learn more, go to iowaabi.org. Sometimes a good business idea needs a financial partner. Sometimes an existing business needs help in taking the operation to the next level. And sometimes a business needs new ideas and new funding in order to be reborn. Midwest Growth Partners has worked with businesses like those and many others and holds a unique place in the Iowa market. John Michelson is founder and managing partner of Midwest Growth Partners. Midwest Growth Partners is a private equity fund, which uh, in Iowa is not, a, is not something that you run into quite often, but we actually wear that as a point of pride. We raise capital from outside investors, primarily those that are involved in food and agriculture, uh, the farm credit system, families that have started and, and had successful businesses. And then we use that capital to purchase parts of or all of businesses, primarily again in food and agriculture and manufacturing. Typically, those are succession planning scenarios where you have a business owner or owners that is seeking to uh, retire or to move on with life, or uh, it's a a capital raise scenario where a business um, is seeking out capital because they want to grow. So maybe they want to purchase a competitor, or maybe they want to add on to their facility, or maybe they want to start a new product line. So that's usually where we get involved, where sort of traditional bank lending stops, um, and we can step in and become a a value-added equity partner. You mentioned that this is not something we hear about a lot in the state of Iowa. So why is that? And if that's the case, why does it work for you folks? The large uh, metropolitan areas, the large money centers like New York and Chicago, that's typically where you would find most equity funds, and they do a great job, and there's a lot of great people that that work in those funds and work in the industry, um, but we're just a little bit different. We are native Iowans, the, the partners of the fund, 
We know that there's a lot of great little businesses spread throughout the rural areas, particularly of the Midwest. So those are really our targets. And so there's great groups that can can effectuate transactions in larger communities. And and we're specifically set up to, to help uh, effectuate transactions in smaller communities. And so that's that's sort of who we are and we embrace it and we're very proud of it. How did it come about? In 2013 was the year that we were founded. Um, I've worked in finance my whole career and, and, and my partners have been around the M&A landscape their entire careers. And uh, we both kept running into situations where there was a retiring business owner. Right now, you might be familiar with the silver tsunami, they call it. So there are uh, 10,000 people a day turning 65 in the U.S. So inevitably, some of them uh, own nice little businesses in the Midwest. And so we were constantly running into that uh, in our former careers and just realized that there's not a pool of institutional capital that's set up to help with that. And so we we saw a need. And uh, fortunately, we were able to convince some investors that that was a good idea as well. And uh, that was the, the impetus for the fund getting started. So how is it that you're able to acquire or invest in a business? Do people seek you out? Is it the kind of thing where you hear about something and then make an overture? I imagine there are a variety of ways, but how does this typically work? Yeah, so this year we'll look at uh, about 450 opportunities and we'll do three or four. So it's a it's a big funnel, uh, so we get to see a lot. But to answer your question, about 60% of that 450 comes from individual or groups that we call investment bankers in our industry. And so their job is to go out and find capital on behalf of their client. So a business owner might decide that they want to retire in 2021. And so they will hire an investment banker to go out and and sell their business. And so that's where about 60% of our opportunities come from. The other 40% uh, we're really proud of we consider those just proprietary in nature. Back to the, uh, you know, why are we in Iowa type thing? Uh, because we're somewhat novel, we do get looks at opportunities that, you know, funds in Chicago probably don't just because we are sort of the local group. And so particularly in the early days of the fund, we spent a tremendous amount of time driving around and talking to pretty much anyone that would talk to us. So that might be economic developers, it might be chamber people, it might be municipality employees and small towns. And just telling our story, telling them this is what we look for. We've got capital. Once they got over the fact that uh, we weren't an evil private equity guy, like tends to be the uh, the stereotype, then inevitably a lot of them would say, "Oh yeah, you know my my brother-in-law owns a nice little business, and he's in uh, he's in Jewel, Iowa. You should call him." You know that just sort of manifested itself into sort of a snowball effect that we continue to to benefit from today. Now, obviously, for you to invest, you're expecting to get a positive return on that investment. So differentiate for me why someone who either has a business or is looking to expand, why they would seek you out as a partner as opposed to going through, and you alluded to it earlier, but as opposed to going through a more traditional, shall we say, lending scheme. And obviously, debt today is incredibly cheap. By all means, we encourage them to, to pursue those avenues first. But debt is a secured uh, instrument. It's, it's uh, intentionally uh, limited um, because of its risk characteristics and its return characteristics. And so it's intentionally a, a, a low risk, low return 
mechanism. And so in, in almost all cases, you know, we're not secured by any assets. We're not secured by anything that would um, sort of give us a backstop if things happen to the business and things do happen to the business every day. And so uh, it's just a different asset class. And so many times a bank will say, hey, business owner, you know, we're willing to give you this much for this project and we think it's a great idea, but you need to go out and find capital for whatever the excess amount is above that amount. And so that's usually where we get involved. So then does that earn you a stake, an ownership interest? Do you float it as uh, financing like a loan or how does that typically work? We typically lead with equity. Um, we can do subordinated debt like you're talking about, but yeah, more often than not, we're, we're partners. And so it's sort of like a marriage. Uh, it's a lot like a marriage. And so we, we get involved with them as in a partnership. If the situation calls for subordinated debt, we can do that as well. You mentioned a moment ago what you're looking for. Established companies, they've got their systems in place, perhaps ripe for an expansion, et cetera. Are there some examples that you're able to share? I don't know how public this kind of a business is. Are there some examples of businesses that you have helped along in this partnership? Yeah, for sure. So all of our investments are on our website. Probably the the better known ones, Maytag Dairy Farms, which is the maker of the world famous blue cheese we purchased that from the Maytag family in, in 2019. Two of them remain on our board and remain very good friends with us. They're, they're very supportive. But they were in a situation where there were 11 family members, 11 members of the Maytag family. None of them lived in Iowa. They had you know, long since sold the appliance business. And so their ties back to Newton had decreased over time. And as a result of that, they had not you know, reinvested in the business like they would tell you that they should have. So we purchased that business from them a little over a year and a half ago, and, and we're putting people and, and systems and processes in there. Actually, this week, we just rolled out the first new blue cheese product in 78 years from, from the company. And so uh, hired a new CEO. The Maytag family, um, they wanted to find a home for that business that would take care of the brand and take care of the employees and stuff. And so they obviously they were incentivized by getting as much money as they could, but more importantly, they wanted it to be a good fit. And so we were uniquely situated for that. And uh, we've been good stewards uh, of the company and our goal is to leave the company better than, than what we found it someday down the road. John Michelson, founder and managing partner of Midwest Growth Partners. Learn more about their process and their investments by going to their website, mgpfund.com. And that brings us to the close of this week's program. We're back again next week at this same time. I'm Jeff Stein. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you have a prosperous week. The Iowa Business Report is presented with support from the Iowa Association of Business and Industry. Follow ABI on Twitter at IowaABI and online at iowaabi.org.